2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Our own very active investment committee buying a bunch of new things. Got some things to selling as well. We're going to debate the moves, discuss the outlook for stocks, Joining me for the hour, Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Amy Raskin, Surat Sethi. We're going to check the markets before we get to those trades. And there are many trades to get to. Interesting, NASDAQ turning positive, got some buying of mega caps other than Apple. We're going to get to that, too. CPI Thursday, earnings Friday. You know what the setup is by now, but let's get to these moves because I've got many to get through. Uh, Josh, I begin with you. You wrote a piece uh, not that long ago, end of year, maybe turn of the new, about Pfizer and how it was a colossal disappointment last year. I guess as much uh, enough of one that you decided to buy it. Tell us why.
3: So one of the things that I've tried to do on the show over the years is make the point that fundamentals tell you what to buy, but technicals are really helpful in trying to figure out when you should buy it or maybe even walk away from it. Uh, And I think in, in Pfizer's case, it's really a technical reason to get in now Um, But the fundamental backdrop is reason enough to want to be an investor here. So Pfizer dropped 44% last year. It's no secret. It was one of the worst performers in the S&P, lost about half its market cap. And that's with the whole market going higher. They made huge missteps. They bet way too big on vaccines and boosters. The demand just vanished, and they weren't ready with the next, next thing. They made a huge acquisition, CGen. Uh, That closed. That will start to bring in new revenue, but it just wasn't fast enough. So that's why the stock got killed. They also blew it in obesity, and obesity is going to be the medicine story uh, or one of the big medicine stories of this decade, and they are nowhere. They had two drugs in development. They halted them both. Um, The CEO spoke at J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference in San Francisco yesterday, uh, Borla, and he basically said, They're not out of this market. They just have to figure out a new approach. They'll probably look for a licensing deal. I don't think they want to buy something for $10 billion here that's in a later stage of development. So expect that. But the bigger picture on the fundamental side is investors are basically acting as though this company is permanently impaired. And that is not going to be the case. It's a 16 times P.E. right now, a forward P.E. of 11 the pharma industry average PE today is 21 times earnings. Um, Pfizer's own 10-year median valuation, historically the stock is traded at 17 times. So it is undervalued both relative to its peers and relative to its own history. The stock is at a 10 times enterprise value to EBITDA, a 20 times price to free cash flow multiple. Um, The S&P 500 and the XLV are both significantly higher. So you're buying this stock at a discount. The technicals, though, Judge, let me finish with this. Pfizer has now been above its 50-day moving average for four out of the last five trading days. It spent 134 consecutive days below its 50-day prior to the last five days. This is a change in character for the behavior of the share price. And the buyers and sellers in the market for Pfizer stock. In 2023, Pfizer spent 235 out of 250 trading days below its 50 day. 94% of the year, it was in a downtrend. There was no reason to go near it. That's what's changed this year. I know the year is new, and that's the timing. So I'm in Pfizer. I don't think it's a straight line back to $50 a share. I just think at these prices, Most of the bad news is in and the technicals are starting to get better.
2: Okay, so we're going to go through a bunch of different moves and then we'll kind of kick it around and and debate them on the other side of doing this. Surat, I move to you because you sold Cisco.
1: I've owned it for a long time. And and to me. It was in my tech portfolio. I think there are much better opportunities out there. It did everything I wanted to do. But if you look at their customers, they're spending money on AI. They're spending money on data centers. They're spending money on security. All the things that I think there's no short-term catalyst for Cisco. So I'd rather take my profits, move the money to other areas that I think have more opportunity. Steph, you used to own Cisco,
2: correct? Yes. Bailed on it. I don't know. What are we talking? Five, six months ago?
4: Yeah. Yeah. And it is defensive. So right. if I wanted a defensive name in technology, that and IBM as well, right? So those are the two that I tend to, to gravitate towards. But I, I just wasn't really happy with their results, their, the last quarter's yeah. last two quarters, quarters results right. and the guide down. Um, and I just think that they have to get through a lot of inventory, which is really the problem for a lot of technology companies as a whole. It's not expensive, very very good management team, but I just found el- other ideas. And at the time, when I sold Cisco, I actually added four to so i use that cash
1: okay no no, and it's just really the customers are not spending more money in what they're in so if we're going to be in tech you want to be in the ai components and the data centers in the other areas or like i like oracle in that sense right Right. so that's my quote value play in the technology side all right the other
2: thing you did was you trimmed uber which seems to be you know, fashionable uh, these days, just given what the stock has done.
1: Yeah, I mean, the stock's close to 60. My average cost was in the mid-20s. It, it, when, when you've got such a big run so fast, you want to take some money off the table. I still have a 1% position in it. I still like the company, but it's not as attractive as it was a year ago.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Jenny's doing the same thing. Um, Josh, I think you trimmed maybe 10% of the position you had in Uber not all, all that long ago. What do you make of this move by Surat?
3: I think Surratt's doing the right thing. You've got to keep in mind, Surratt is a portfolio manager. These are, this is real people's money invested in, in stocks. And it doesn't matter how much you love a story, you don't want any one particular position to completely take over your portfolio uh, because anything can happen at any time with individual stocks. So it's the prudent thing to do. Um, I took some money off the table. Look, the stock, the stock, went out, the stock doubled last year Like at, at, a, at a certain point. The, the, the situation is, it's probably not as attractive as it was. I still think, though, that Uber um, has tons of potential. I'll be in it for the long term. So I think everything Surat said is is true, and, and I agree with him.
1: And, and, and right. ju- just to add to one of those things, So yes. if you remember, okay, so I, I don't want to be like a victory lap here, because a year and a half ago, we doubled up because the stock got killed in 2022. So I have clients with really low cost basis that now it's triple the position that I wanted it to be. So I was waiting for long term, waiting to take the profits off. So it's Josh is right, it's portfolio management. It's the right thing to be prudent.
2: Okay, Amy, I, I, I move over to you. Um, you trimmed Nike. I did. Uh, I mean, that's, that stock's been in the crosshairs of late. Had a right. huge run up into earnings, huge disappointment. Yep. Why trim it now?
5: Um, We've been trimming it for a while, um, but this time we did take a big chunk out, and it's probably on its way out of portfolios. The company's just not executing. Um, We're worried about the global consumer just generally weakening. Um, China is not coming back in the way that I wanted it to. There is more competition. um, So we just think there are better consumer names out there.
2: You want to opine on this one?
5: It's expensive for what you're getting. And and the results were fine last
4: quarter, but the guidance was really not fine fine. Right. And, it, and it wasn't just China. It was, uh, you know, kind of emerging markets yep. as a whole. Yeah, uh, it yep. was also digital was very muted. And so you know, I think they're doing a great job in terms of inventories and gross margins and that sort of thing. But what do you want to pay for? I would be happy basic, to come back to it at right? some point. I Agreed, think they are the innovation 100%.
5: leader, but right now it's not working. The technicals don't look good. Um, and so we're yeah, I think it's gone down like there. every single day since <laughs> <Yes>. they reported. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Amy, you also trimmed SLB. I
5: did. Um, we're, we're overweight, energy. We still own SLB. Um, it's not on its way out, unlike Nike. Um, we put some money into Shell. Again, just from a technical perspective, it looks better, it's cheaper, um, and So we just shifted it around a little bit and brought down our energy overweight a little bit.
2: This is your stock as well.
4: I like it very much. And actually, I would be buying on the weakness. Uh, The stock trades at eight and a half times EBITDA. The historical average is something like 12 times. Um, This is the number one oil field services company in the industry. And the digital franchise is enormous. And 80% of the business is international. And that's just starting to inflect higher. And 50% of their international is offshore, which is also starting to inflect higher. So I think you've got to be patient with this one, but I think at this valuation for the number one player in the industry, I'm a buyer. It makes it's this. hard to
2: be patient when you see a lot of stuff going up wildly and this one going down. Sure. Right.
4: Well, I think that this is going to be the year where you see more I. E. laggards.
2: I.e., your Chevron, like, wash my hands of this stock and get it out of here and move to Exxon.
4: Well, I will tell. I mean, Chevron actually had a lot of missteps, in my opinion, and I did not like the acquisition that they made internationally, and so I put money, took it out of Chevron, which is cheap and if you want to own a cheap, you know, integrated company with good yield, decent management, that's fine. But I just like Exxon better, given what I I think that the acquisition of Pioneer gets them number one share in the Permian. And that's actually growing in spades. And the company has 38 billion in free cash flow. They're buying back stock. They've got dividends galore. So to me, I just like the execution better in Exxon versus Chevron. But I got to tell you, Schlumberger is absolutely my favorite in the space. Well,
1: what's interesting is we're And we're Oroid energy too, and and we own all these stocks as well. We don't own Exxon, we own Chevron, but I'm going to end up having Exxon because I own Pioneer. There you go. So, what I like about the sector with oil at 70 bucks, this is the time you want to buy these stocks. You don't want to be buying when they're 90 and people are saying, what's the profit going to be? Because the average cost for these guys to make money is in the 40s. So
4: yeah, Exxon it, and Chevron, their break-even is $35. So if you see 8.5. that
1: happening, mm-hmm. and you see any type of soft or no hard landing, these stocks are trading at such a cheap value that nobody cares about them. We're back to that story about, but they have really good balance sheets, they have really good discipline, so I want to be in this sector. All right. So we have other moves
2: that are sprinkled throughout our, our program today, and they are, as such, for, for various reasons, which you'll, you'll see as we go along here. And we will get to those, I promise you that. I, w- I do want to move to some big stories today. Boeing, the fallout You all know about the story at this point. Well, today the CEO is holding an employee safety meeting, kind of an all-hands-on-deck thing. Um, Inquiring minds want to know what you're doing with the stock. You know, yesterday, Jim Labenthal, which was kind of a surprise, felt a little emotional in in saying, you know what, I'm out completely. I don't want to wake up and and have to worry about headlines that are are, are negative or, if not, you know, uh, catastrophic. Um, What are you doing with it?
4: I'm staying patient. I'm going to hang on to it. I think it's not going, it's not done going down. These kinds of things do take a long time to kind of settle out. Uh, But I come back to the financial implication is small. The 7379 series is 2% of backlog, 4% of 2024 deliveries, 1% of overall max in storage. So it's a small component. Obviously, it's a human tragedy. I get that. But and thank God it wasn't worse than, than it was. But uh, I do think from a financial impact and from an investment impact, I like the long term story because it is in a duopoly. And those people that think that pe- that the airlines are going to cancel Boeing's uh, jets and go to Airbus, they're mistaken. Airbus is also kind of maxed out, if you will, yeah, in those terms of stock production. Are like,
2: you know, it's, I, I was listening to some reporting on this earlier, and it, it's very much that. It's like, okay, yeah. you're going to cancel your order, yeah. and then you're going to place an order with Airbus, and then we're going to wait till 2030 right, right. To, to get the planes you yeah. want? I mean, okay, so that's an obvious plus, right? The, the duopoly. But what about the obvious negative, which seems to be at this point just continued execution yeah, risk? Yeah,
4: there's no, there's no question. There absolutely is no question. There's a huge blemish on Calhoun. I actually wonder. They just recently hired and announced a new COO, and I just wonder if maybe Calhoun his days are kind of numbered, if you will, and I think the stock would rally. But I'm not going to invest on that. I just want to invest on them getting this fixed and getting this right, and the FAA not then delaying the 737-10 series, which is 20% of the backlog. And that is a big deal. The bottom line is the stock is going to start to price in lower free cash flow. Their guidance for 2025 is $10 billion, mm-hmm. So maybe it comes in at $6 billion or $7 billion or so. It's still free cash flow. It's still a story of that, that there's more demand well, than there is supply, and that is, for the long-term, favorable.
2: To your to your point, a City was estimating that the grounding of these planes could cost $2.3 million a day. That's not insignificant. No. However, to your point, Boeing's expected to generate $6 billion in free cash flow this year. The headline for us here, um, isn't so much that the CEO is holding a safety meeting, it's that Stephanie Link is sticking with the stock.
4: Yes, I am, because it's gonna take a while, right? I mean, by the way, the stock rallied 40% from the lows. So I understand why people would say, okay, you know what, I made some money, and that's what Jim is doing. He said, I made some money, and he made a lot of money over the years in the name. So he finds uh, uh, ideas elsewhere. For me, I just think that whenever I can get now, you don't want to say, I mean, I know saying this is the number one player in the industry, number one or number two, there's only two players, but given all the execution mishaps, but it is still a blue chip quality company with good free cash flow generation and a whole product cycle story. And so you don't really sell on these kinds of, on this kind of news, stay patient and look for opportunities to buy it again, long-term.
1: Surat, so, how come you don't own this? So we're Seems looking... Seems like a Surat name. It, it is. <laughs> and, and it might end up being very soon. It will be a, a Right. Because you own airlines, yeah, you own yeah. industrials. And I, I do. And this look, bridges and, and, both. And the other part of this is... If you think about the airline industry, if you've got planes grounded, they're going to do really well because they can raise prices again. Right. That supply part that we were worried about catching up is going to get shut down pretty quickly because you can't put planes up back in the air, even though it's small ones that we're looking and at. And you it.
4: also own GE, right? We own GE. And they and will benefit from all of the, this the, and aftermarket.
1: And we own, own, own Transdyne, which yeah. does the after part. Right. Now and I, I, own I own Parker well.
4: Hanifin, too. So like, so, we have a lot but, of different but, pieces.
1: But th- this is definitely in our crosshairs. We've been looking at it, and I think with the price coming down to kind of where it is, if you look at the cash, it's all based on cash flow, right? Yeah. And if you get a clean house, I think, you know, we're going to be in, in a stock like this. So
2: the other big story is this Samsung news um, that they're suggesting their profits could plunge 35 percent. Well, we note at the top of the program, NASDAQ goes positive, mega caps positive, except for one, Apple which was down 6% last week, had a really nice day yesterday, along with the, the rest of the NASDAQ. Um, I just wonder, Josh, if, if you see a headline like this on Samsung and say, you know what, this is yet another reason to worry about Apple. If, if global smartphone demand remains weak, and then you gotta wonder, okay, well, what does that mean for Broadcom and Skyworks and Corvo and the Apple suppliers, maybe you need to worry, you know, even more so about Apple, what do you think?
3: You know, any time that you've drawn that inference, any time that you've taken a piece of news like that, or an Asian data point or whatever, and tried to extrapolate that out to tell a story about Apple, it's been wrong. So maybe one time it'll be right, but that has not been a winning approach to scrutinizing um, the, the outlook for Apple. It just it's, it's, I haven't seen it work yet. I think the bigger story with Apple is that we've now all accepted it's a replacement business three years ago they stopped giving us iphone numbers um units so now we count iphone and revenue and they've been able to make up for the lack of growth in unit with higher prices and there seems to be absolutely no limit to what prices people will pay so it's a 200 billion dollar a year business it doesn't have to grow at the same pace that it did years ago shareholders seem okay with what's going on with uh with, with iPhone now, and I don't think a headline like this is really gonna change anybody's opinion.
2: You know what, you, you see this too, and you're like, okay, well, the SMH had its best year in 20, in 2023. What does this mean for chips? Mm more broadly. Uh, so, of course, we asked Christina Partsenevolos who's out at the Consumer Electronics Show out in Vegas, to take a look at that issue because it's been a few days now, a week or so, of, you know, one by one, so to speak, talking about warnings, whether it's Samsung here, microchip, Mobileye. You've seen all these stories and followed them.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we can't treat them all at the same, though. So with Samsung, they, you can say the glass is half full and the fact that memory prices have been climbing since November and they alluded to some improvement in Q4. So you could say things are improving for Samsung, but maybe not as quickly as everyone hoped. And Micron already had their earnings in December and their revenue was stronger than forecast. So Micron could be pulled out a little bit separately and both of them could benefit from just the AI push given the high bandwidth memory. To your point about microchip, that was a, a big talker Yesterday evening, because Microchip guided their Q3 revenue, so the December quarter down 22%. That guide down was already after they guided lower uh, the previous quarter. So they are warning of not only weak demand in the you know December quarter. Usually seasonally, it's a lot lower for analog uh, chip makers. But the other thing that stood out to me is this inventory issue with customers, that they're working through inventory. And we heard that from Mobileye as well. Mobileye, granted, is way more exposed to EVs. Uh, Mobileye, we saw the stock drop, what, 25% when they warned last week that people are working through it. And that's a lot that has to do with, you know, uh, hoarding and automakers that are buying a lot of supply chips uh, and concern that there might be a supply shortage. They're realizing that's not the case. Now they're stuck with all of these chips, and so they have to work down through it. So with microchips, There's a lot of concern about auto-related weakness, and that's weighing heavily on on Semi and XPI. Not majorly. Some of these names could be down a lot worse. But it's adding a little bit of a divergence between the analog and auto exposure versus the lovely NVIDIA AMD Intel mix.
2: I'm glad you mentioned NVIDIA because it's outperformed on a relative basis all of the mega caps since really the rally began around November 1st. Even recently, you know, there's been more buying in NVIDIA, Christina. We're looking at it today. I mean, it's up 11% in a week. Now, some of the other mega caps are up, too, but this is way past the other performance numbers.
0: Yeah, and yesterday it hit, well, this morning it hit an intraday high of $534.45. And, Scott, these numbers are happening, even though just yesterday... I can say, what, the, there were some announcements at CES, three new gaming chips, but it's not anything major. It's more peripheral. And the fact that uh, Reuters is saying that they're only going to start Q2, uh, in Q2, they're going to start mass production of their AI China chips. So it's a little bit slower than anticipated. So you had, I wouldn't say it, negative news, but not necessarily overly positive. And the stock still climbed. It's still a favorite. And that has a lot to do with just the dominance of NVIDIA. And now AMD coming in as well, too, especially with the launch of their new uh, AI Chip. Intel slowly trying to creep through as well. And then the whole AI PC that I know, Scott, you have talked uh, uh, quite a bit with a lot of guests to just whether this is going to really move the needle for PCs. But NVIDIA still remains the darling in 2024, despite some weakness in other chip names.
2: Yeah, appreciate it very much. Uh, Christina, thank you. That's Christina Parts of at CES out in Vegas. So from mega cap to smaller cap, because I do want to hit the Russell and the small caps before we take our, our first break. So, Amy, what do you make to, you know, those stocks have obviously been choppy, yeah. mega cap, big tech. Yeah. Uh, the Russell 2000 is down about 1%, it's down 2% in a week. But the notes keep flowing, uh, and the positive ones, Goldman, low valuations, healthy growth outlook, signal more upside for the small caps, should return roughly 9% in the next six months. They say 15% in the next 12 Mike Wilson, right, who's been bearish as anybody. Um, Small cap forward PE multiple trades at a 30% discount to large caps. Barclay says stay positive. Soft landing, acceptance, You know, et cetera, rate cuts good for value and small caps.
5: Yeah. Look, I think if rates continue, if I mean rates are backing up a little bit now, you have the ten-year crossing four. But if rates come back down, that's going to be good for small caps. So, from a longer-term perspective, do I like small caps better than large caps? Yes. You do. um, I do. I do. I just think large caps had a really big move for a long time, um, and we're due for some reversal. We're sort of at record disparities between. discrepancies between valuations of small and large. So I do like them. Whether that happens next week, I don't know. We're getting this back up in rates. That helps large caps. Um, So, you know, but from a longer term perspective, yes, I agree
4: with the trade. Well, I think to like small caps, you have to like financials because that's a big component of, of the small cap index. Well, regionals. Um, regionals, right. Well, financials. <laughs> um, and I do like financials. The thing is, I think that the large cap financials are just as cheap as the small cap financials, and I think the visibility is better and the market share is better. So, to me, I also think, like, you know, the... the the information that we get out of small caps is so much less. The transparency is so much less. The the analyst community, that you don't get as many analysts following companies, so you don't have as much. You have bigger surprises, is my point. Mm-hmm. You have more volatility. More volatility. And so, you know, you I don't go... You also have more growth. You absolutely we have more growth. not to say that so we
1: didn't get enough volatility in financials. In sure.
4: Or overall, or the yeah. 493 last year. Yeah, so. Totally. I totally right. agree. I just think that yeah. you right. can have some f- small cap financials, but I still right. think there's plenty of value in large cap you
1: buy in small caps? No. no. I mean, our small caps are maybe... Just not your discipline or Well, we're well, we, we too big to... If we were buying, it, it's hard because we take over and then we're going to file all these SEC regulations. So, we're very specific as to if we go into a small cap because you then like we end up... don't doing paperwork? Like what's the problem? Uh, it's liquidity.
4: Liquidity, yeah. Yeah.
1: It's all right. not paperwork. All right. Let's
2: take a... I know that. Let's take a quick <laughs> break. Uh, we're going to run through some calls of the day. Uh, we do have a big downgrade today um, for a payment name. Josh and Surat are in there, and it's a big price target reduction. Several other moves the committee owns today. We'll go through those next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises.
0: What does it
5: mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
2: Calls of the day number one is PayPal. So Josh, I'm coming to you first because you don't see this that often. First of all, it got downgraded to equal weight from over at Morgan Stanley, but the price target dump on this is big from 118 to 66. They say the company's not moving fast enough. They're less optimistic they can monetize Venmo. I think you've talked about that, too, at, at, at points. But what do you think about this call? And most importantly, this really big slash of the stock price?
3: I, it feels late. I think he's right about uh, the concerns here. So that's not really the... Like, uh, one of the big growth engines for um, PayPal was to turn Venmo into um, in, into a big product in the Amazon shopping cart, and that didn't materialize. Um, but this is James Fawcett, and he's been covering the stock, and he's been dead wrong on it the whole way down. A year ago, he had like a $130 price target on it. The stock was 80. So this feels capitulation-ish to me, if that's a word. This doesn't feel like there's any new news. I just feel like he can't take it anymore because the stock has been so horrible versus his old target but that's bullish to me the, you you had three downgrades of the stock in the last week they're not really having a big impact on the price so to me i would look at this more as a contrarian signal than anything All else. Right. what about you Sarah?
1: so the, the other thing is you have a new cfo and a new ceo so you're going to get a completely new strategy in place they have really good assets and i think the stock was definitely you know when you look back was overvalued at 30 times earnings they have cash flow. I think they have to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. So I'm not going to sell it. Like, Josh is right. This is like a washout story to me, because mm-hmm. just get get rid of it, et cetera. It's a cheap stock. And, and, you know, it, it's we don't know what the short-term catalyst is, but I'm willing to hold it because it's kind of like a Boeing story to me, where I, I don't think there's too much bad, more news baked
2: into this. All right. So Snap got a target raise today, Josh, to 14 from yeah. eight. Now, you know, it feels a little late as well. Now, the stock's obviously above the price target. It's up 100% in three months. You recently bought this stock.
3: They have uh, more daily active users than most of the companies we talk about on this show. Um, It's like like between 300 and 400 million, whether we're talking about monthly or, or daily active users. It's a huge audience uh way bigger than Twitter and Twitter was bought for tens of billions of dollars um the market cap here is 28 billion they just have never been profitable that's the bottom line but they have done everything else um but but getting to profitability is the catalyst here so I have never liked this stock uh I took a shot on it recently I own it a little bit lower than where it's trading today if they can make a credible case that they are within a few quarters of, of sustained profitability. The stock is way undervalued. Um, so we'll, we'll see if that in fact happens. I've talked about the subscription business. It's underrated the degree to which Snapchat is converting its most frequent users into paying subscribers. They, they've only had an ad business up until now. They have seven million users as of their last report. Mm-hmm. Uh, paying for Snapchat Plus. And when I talk to people under the age of 20, I have two of them living in my house. Once people start using Snap Plus, they can't stop because of all of the features it allows them to take advantage of. They can see when their friends are half, are half swiping on their stuff. They have like an unlimited insight into what their friends are doing, and it's it's like omnipotence. They don't want to give it up. So I think that uh, the stock
2: has a shot this year. All right, last one I want to do is Las Vegas Sands. Steph, uh, yours called the top pick today at Morgan Stanley. Price target lowered though to fifty nine from sixty four. They say they're poised for more idiosyncratic growth, overweights the rating.
4: 65% of the EBITDA is Macau. So you buy this if you think Macau is going to see a recovery, a continued recovery, which I do think they will. And this company is going from more VIP to mass, and that is actually expected to grow 25% year over year. And I think when as that happens, the numbers are going to go up, and I think the target prices that are coming down are probably going to reverse. So I also like their cash flow position and the $2 billion buyback program As well. So, this is one I like. Um, It's a China recovery play, but it's a China consumer recovery play. And so, you know where I stand Mm
2: -hmm. on that. Okay. Let's get the headlines now with Pippa Stevens. Hey, Pippa.
6: Hey, Scott. Federal appeals judges appeared skeptical of Trump lawyer arguments claiming presidential immunity at today's appellate hearing. Trump, who was in attendance, wants the appeals court to overturn the trial judge's ruling rejecting immunity claims when he allegedly undermined the 2020 election results. Meta announced today it will automatically set content controls for users under 18 to the most restrictive on Instagram and Facebook. Those settings aim to prevent teens from seeing or searching certain topics, such as self-harm and eating disorders, even if the content is shared by someone they follow. The updates will roll out over the coming weeks. And Miller Lite wants you to remember what beer tastes like during dry January. The brewer is releasing mints that taste like beer but end with a minty, fresh feel. The mints will sell for $5 beginning January 12th for a limited run. Scott, not sure how I feel about that.
2: I don't know either. I don't know either. I'm thinking back to those iconic commercials, taste great, less filling. I yeah. Yeah, thinking maybe i want to say something but i'm not going to say it pippa thank you pippa stevens coming up more contrarian ideas for 2024 amy and sarah are ready to give their top plays and later one committee member making some moves in the banks ahead of earnings this week we'll document the trades coming up
7: b2b selling is tougher than ever and we feel your pain
2: All right, welcome back. So we have committee members here who have not given their contrarian place for 2024. So we're going to do that now, starting with you, Surat. What is so yours?
1: Commodities, is the basic material sector. We know it's unloved, but the reason I like it, and I especially like the copper companies in there, mm-hmm. because it's not the pricing that you're after, it's the supply. We have not invested in copper mines in over 10 years globally. So with the demand of copper increasing, whether it's in EVs, it's in alternatives, and to Steph's point, you have an option, free option for China. These companies are trading so cheaply in the copper world, great balance sheets, good cash flow. I think you want to be in a sector like this, and especially area like uh, uh, copper. Okay, so you just bought Tech
2: Resources. I teased that we had these other moves coming up at the top yes. of the show. This is one of them.
1: So this is one, along with Freeport. So Tech Resources is about to sell off all their coal to Glencore. Mm-hmm. They're going to be 85% copper, 15% zinc, trades at four times EBITDA. Their competitors trade at seven times EBITDA. Okay. They, they're, 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 in terms of cost, they're in the first quartile uh, for copper. So I like this company. It's volatile. It's not one for the faint of heart, but I think this is one that if you're going to play the contrarian and say, hey, what's going to actually work? I think you want to be in tech, and you want to be in a Freeport.
2: I mean, uh, uh, you're in Freeport, so you must agree with this trade.
4: Yes, and I was buying some, adding to it in December. We talked about it. Yep. Yep. Um, for every ten percent change in copper, it's twelve percent to EBITDA on the way up and on the way down. So if you feel positive on copper, this is certainly a, the way, the way to pl- one of the ways to Best play sport. it. A little more expensive at nine times EBITDA, but I think this is the premier company in the space, doing a great job in terms of execution and paying
5: down debt.
2: Okay, Amy, you're up.
5: Yep. Alumina. Um, so this stock has is hated. Um, it, the sell side hates it. Um, it went from 240 to below 90 last year. Um, it, it, it has been a soap opera with um, they divested Grail, then they bought it back at a big price. They closed the acquisition even though the European um, Commission said that they weren't allowed to. Icon got in, um, ousted the CEO, at, chair of the board. It has been a nightmare to be um, to be totally frank. Earnings um, are just earnings brutal. Gotten crushed, and largely that's because of the dilution from the Grail acquisition. It went from six fifty to less than seventy cents this year. So it has been, it has been a drama. The stock at one point was over five hundred dollars. So really unloved. Um, by almost everybody, mm-hmm. um, but it just had a bearish to bullish reversal, talking about technicals. It's come back a lot. I think they're actually presenting right now from 12 to 1 at the J.P. Morgan conference. They have a new CEO. They're focused on their core business. They're going to divest Grail. They're, it, they're the number one genomic sequencing player in the country. There are tens of billion dollars' worth of equipment out there. Every technician knows how to use an aluminum machine. I don't think they're going to lose a lot of market share. Even though there are new startups coming after them. It's a razor, razor blade model that they sell consumables. I think they will get their free cash flow back. Um, and I think, uh, you know, a $20 billion market cap for the number one player in a high margin growing business.
1: Surat, you own it. Yeah, what she said. No, <laughs> um, no, no but, but the analogy is very similar to the Uber story a year and a half ago where nobody wanted it. was a complete washout in November, December. It was on everybody's sale, sales list because I'll take the tax, I'll, so I'll come back. Well, yeah, guess did, what?
2: Did, did Uber do a dumb acquisition that everybody said don't do?
1: No, but then they got out of the acquisition and people were still selling the stock when they right. say we're done with Grail. We're, we've got a new CEO in there we have great products and, and also every growth fund got out of it too because they said forget the tax law I just don't know what's going on you want to buy a company like this when now they're going to set a path so like you said at J.P. Morgan they actually just pre-announced their earnings right. and said Positive. hey yeah. stocks up 6% Right. so, right. so it, the kitchen sink to everything and if you, you are going to pay a premium for a company like this in this space because they there are not many competitors in here and guess what you get another free option for China here again. Right. so you know, we come back to all this it doesn't matter if China comes back or not. This company, if they execute, you can get the stock to do 20 30% higher from here. All
2: right. So we'll take a, another quick break. When we come back, uh, we do have two moves from Amy regarding the banks just ahead of their earnings, too. So you want to hear those. We'll do it next. Welcome back. Earnings season getting set to kick off later this week at the Banks. Amy's making a couple of moves ahead of that on the same day that we get some calls regarding the largest names in that group. So you're trimming J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs. Do tell.
5: Um, Really, this is a portfolio management move. The stocks have kind of been in a straight line for the past two months. Both are up almost 30 percent. We added to them sort of well at the mid last year. Um, I think I was on the show talking with Steve Wise and made him out as well. Um, But they've just done really well. They're very big positions for me at this. Point. We like them. This is not a call on the quarter that I think they're going to miss or anything like that.
2: Did you make better points than Steve Weiss did that day? I remember? think I did. You <laughs> did? Yeah, I, did. Okay. I, think, I mean, I was assuming so. I just wanted to make yeah, sure. Thanks. I wanted Amy to say
5: I, it. I, I, I hope so. <laughs> All
2: right, good. Okay. Um, so, Deutsche Bank upgraded JP Morgan to a buy, which, Josh, you know, look, the stock's had a huge run. Now, they raised the target to 190, so they obviously missed the run, it would seem. Uh, because their prior target was 140, it's at 170, but they think it's going higher. So better late than never is fine if you actually get the call right. What do you think?
3: Yeah, I think from a tactical perspective, maybe that's important. Keep in mind, I'm in the stock for like a decade or more, uh, talking about it on the show, from as low as $70 a share. And I can envision this stock just getting bigger based on a combination of industry standard earnings growth, They don't have to do anything overly acrobatic, and the buyback machine, which is going to be in full throttle for as far as the eye can see. The risk here is that one day Jamie tells us he's bored, and maybe that'll be a re rating in the stock, but maybe only temporarily. Outside of that, look what they've just navigated over the last five years. Mm -hmm. A trade war, uh, a a presidency that was uh, pursuing all kinds of global tariffs, pandemic, post-pandemic, inflation, bank panic, they just win. So I I don't care what the analyst says. I'm not selling it.
2: All right, Uh, so Surat, you have JPM too.
1: I do, and I really like JPM. It's one of our top core holdings. Yeah. But I'd like to also talk about, I mean, and you know, you own this as Morgan Stanley as well. Well, I was going to do that.
2: Right. They're they're part of a call today from HSBC. They downgraded Morgan Stanley to hold from buy.
1: Which I don't understand, because the tailwinds for a Morgan Stanley are so great right now. Just look at the capital markets activity going on just this year. When you talk about it. Yeah, I know, but it's kind of exclusive to the healthcare space. Apache. They did. They, they did one there as well. So you saw Juniper Networks and technology. So they're, they're all starting Surab- to happen. And yes, yes. Josh. on on
3: Morgan, on, Morgan Stan- on Morgan Stanley. So James Gorman is gone, and most of their uh, most of their execution issues are probably behind them. I think he set them up on a great footing. He says himself, the challenge for Ted Pick is going to be strategic. Like, they have to, like, get into the right other areas and move left and right. And we don't know yet. It's an unproven
1: situation. It's a a brand new CEO. Does that give you any concern? No, I think Ted Pick was a great pick. (laughs) Uh, because if you look at kind of what James Gorman did, was 60% of their revenue comes from wealth management. Right. That's only going to get better. Now the rest of it is, you've got option value and M&A activity, capital markets activity. That's where Ted Pick came from. That's where you're going to see much better execution, because that's where he's going to focus. And you've got a great balance sheet. They've been buying back a ton of shares. You've got over 3% dividend yield. So I like JP Morgan, but I like Morgan Stanley even better at these prices, because I think you have a better upside from Stanley
2: you have morgan stanley as well
4: i do and i'm a little nervous to be honest because it's up 24 percent from the lows Uh and it's really i know what
2: happened the last time you got nervous heading into earnings you remember that one
4: (laughs) yeah what was was that one and i was right
2: that was nike Nike. right
4: yeah i know well this is the reason i'm nervous it's nothing to do with the fundamentals although i think the fundamentals are kind of like there's puts and takes for sure capital markets good wealth management not good at this moment in time but we'll get better But the stock's up 24%. It's re-rated from 13 times to 17 times. My suspicion is that's why you actually trimmed some of yours, because of the same reasons. And so, I don't know. I didn't want to get too cute and start trimming around. I like it for all the reasons that you said, Surat. So it all depends on your time horizon. What Ted Pick needs to do is he needs to reiterate 20% ROTCE for the the medium term, 30% pre-tax wealth margins, and a $1 trillion in asset growth every three years. Those are the three metrics that everybody... Everybody that has an interest in this name needs to hear, and we have to hear how they're going to do it.
2: Okay. All right. Mike Santoli, he's next with his midday word. We still have to trade a couple of the day's biggest winners and a couple of the day's biggest losers, and we will do that as well. We're back in two. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. Uh, so some Nasdaq buying has kind of brought the map market back a little bit. Yeah,
8: um, Nvidia up, offsetting the entirety of Tesla and Apple being down. Mm-hmm. So it still definitely feels like um, uh, we're giving back a good deal of yesterday's gain in the average stock, but uh, really to no uh, no net effect. That's really that worrisome. The equal weighted S and P uh, ETF XSD even hanging in there, are okay. So you have the warnings. Markets trying to. Uh, kind of separate out the, uh, uh, you know, kind of the culprits from everybody else. Uh, Still not really convinced that we got enough of a reset in total after nine weeks up. You have to kind of wait and see how that plays out as we, I think, are pretty sensitive to signs of weakening activity. I don't think we're in a bad news is good news regime, no matter what the Fed Funds futures says and how people interpret them.
2: Yeah. Um, Elsewhere, the Russell, you know. Yeah. Russell's been the weakest of late, right? It's down 2% on a week. We still have a bunch of you know, positive notes coming out. I mentioned three of them earlier today say, hey, the conditions are right for this. this it's space. the whip
8: end of everything that goes on in the market, right? So it's, it was up the most. They had the biggest comeback. And yeah, the math does tell you that um, small caps have had a massive discount valuation-wise. The, the duration of underperformance under has been extreme. But... Um, It still feels like, unless you can convince me we're no longer late cycle, that somehow we got the fountain of youth and the Fed pivot got us there, it's still tough to have those stocks look across the valley if we we have a valley to look across. I don't know if we do. But I think that's why they don't perform. Also, massive inflows into the equal-weighted ETF, the equal-weighted S&P. And so people are on board that trade. You could take that as encouragement, or you could take that as let's slow it down a little
2: yeah, bit. Yeah, I don't know. Some will take it the latter, I guess. Yeah. All right, thank you. I'll see you on Closing Belt. Mike Santoli. All right, two winners, two losers. We'll do it next. All right, welcome back. Let's do two big winners, two big losers. Sirah, what do you make of this Juniper jumping today on this HP story, HPE uh sure. could be an AI deal. I mean, everything. You know, you, you get ready to hear AI on everything.
1: I mean, one of the things we heard in the last few conference calls last quarter was, hey, we're waiting to see where interest rates are going to be, things like that. And now you get companies like HP doing acquisitions because they're looking for growth. And, and, and I think that's where Juniper has been out of favor. So you're going to see companies consolidate. It's going to be more cost control. And then how do we grow our revenue? So I think this is going to be a start of some of these other companies, and you're going to see more acquisitions. Juniper has been out of
4: favor since 2001. Oh, no. If you look at that chart, it hasn't done a thing. Yeah. So the fact that HP has to spend pay up for this thing, that's crazy to and me. And you
1: see what happened to HP Stock. I know. No 21% or
2: 225 no. now. So, look, Urban's nice. up uh, about 9% today uh, as they report their holiday sales. They have a new president of their Urban Outfitters brand. Um, Unity is down 8.5%, as they say. They're going to lay off 25 percent of their workforce. And then JetBlue's down 10 percent, having its worst day since October. They have a CEO change. So you own United, which got double upgraded today. Right. And Delta, you own Delta, too, I still, own right? Delta, yes. Delta reports on Friday. Yes. So what's your take
1: there? So I think for United, you're seeing travel now grow internationally. And that was their biggest, I, I think, if that what was going to hurt them, was the international travel, especially in the Far East. I actually prefer Delta over United because I think Delta's got the best routes. And by the way, this Boeing thing, like I mentioned at the top of the show, it actually helps all these airlines because now they can price even higher. And that was actually slowing down as we got into the year. All right, final trades. We will take a break and we'll come back and do that next.
2: Are you following the Halftime
3: Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app,
2: Follow the halftime podcast now. All right, three o'clock Eastern. Hope you'll join me on closing bell. Walk you through the end of this market day with Adam Parker. Nicole Webb is going to join us here at the New York Stock Exchange. Anthony Scaramucci on as well as we wait for this Bitcoin ETF announcement from the SEC. Uh, I think we're going to get it by tomorrow. I think that's the deadline. So, talk about what that means for. for crypto trading moving forward, whether it's a sell on the news is that was the best performing asset class of last year off to a decent start this year as well. So I hope you'll join me then. Josh, final trade. Uh,
3: Alphabet, I think it's going back to 150.
1: Okay, Surat. Delta going back to the airlines. I think they've got the best pricing and the best routes. Okay, Amy Raskin.
5: Franco Nevada playing on Surat's commodity trade. Um, It had a big tumble due to a a mine in Panama. We think it comes back.
2: Okay, and Stephanie, way
5: Home Depot. I like the housing theme for twenty twenty
2: four. Okay, so Dow is still negative. We have had that buying though in the Nasdaq. We'll see what progresses. I'll see you in a couple hours on closing bell. You've been listening to CNBC's halftime report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at twelve Eastern only on CNBC.
5: completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full halftime report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash halftime report disclaimer.
3: With the Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles.